What's up, everybody? Welcome to the Big Six Podcast. Tuesday morning, October 2nd. Week 4 is finished. It's in the books. Big show coming up for you, as always, on Tuesday. We have the Brady Quinn Football Show, presented by... That's not presented by anybody, but it's featuring me, Will Brinson, your host. Uh, Brady Quinn will stop by in just a little bit. But first, got to recap an exciting Monday Night Football game between the Chiefs and the Broncos. A 27-23 Kansas City win in Mile High Stadium that sends the Chiefs to 4-0 uh, and leaves the Broncos at 2-2. Sean Wagner McGuff joining me. What's up, buddy? I'm just, I'm hyped on Patrick Mahomes right now. I don't think you will ever get a more excited version of myself, not including after Bears wins, than you will tonight because Patrick Mahomes is, is incredible and watching him is an absolute joy. And I am jealous that I didn't grow up a Chiefs fan and I can't experience this from the point of view of a fan because it's incredible. Okay. It's so much fun. All right. Was that Patrick Mahomes is Patrick Mahomes finished the game 28 to 45 for 304 yards, just one touchdown. Um, no interceptions. Was that his best game or his worst game with the Chiefs? I mean, it wasn't his best game, but in a way it was one of his most impressive games because we knew entering this game that the Chiefs could put up these video game numbers in bunches. We've seen them do that in the first half in every game, and then the second half we've just seen them kind of coast and, you know, kill the clock and massage a lead, and the second half hasn't been interesting. This showed us a different side of Patrick Mahomes that we never got to see, which was the down 10 in Denver. I know that Broncos defense isn't what it used to be back in 2015, but it's still a good defense that was playing really well for three quarters. And he stole this game because this wasn't just running the ball with Kareem Hunt, let's score 14 points to win the game at the end. This was throw the ball left-handed. This was running to his left, throw the ball across the field to his right. This This was... Everything you want Patrick Holmes to be, just vintage stuff that you saw in the fourth quarter. And he's, you know what? He worked through some issues. I think all over, like, Kareem, um, Kareem Hunt played well, but Travis Kelsey got shut out in the first half. You had, um, a couple drop passes. You had some miscommunications on the offensive line. This was the kind of win I wanted to see from the Chiefs where they have to win ugly. They're not going to be perfect right away and just build this lead. They're going to have to go against a team that can rush the passer and overcome this lead. And so in a, in a way, it wasn't, his, it wasn't his best performance, but it was his most impressive, if that makes sense. I think that makes perfect sense. In fact, that's the best way. That's how I would describe it as well. Chiefs finished with 10 penalties for 93 yards. They consistently shot themselves in the foot um, in that regard. I think what really stood out about Mahomes, too, is that he managed to – take what the Broncos were giving him for a large portion of this game, not force anything, and then at the same time utilize his athleticism, uh, his ability to get out on, you know, to get out on the run, to make big plays, um, to throw from every friggin' angle with his arm, from every freaking platform with his body. I mean, I just don't think I know the Favre name got thrown around a lot. Before he got drafted, when he was coming out of college, Brett Favre is a comparison. A guy Andy Reid has worked with, a gunslinger who can, who would make crazy plays. And I get that it's, it's dumb to compare people to Favre, but I'm not so sure it's dumb. I mean, like this era, I mean, Patrick Mahomes reminds me from a physical skill set perspective of an Aaron Rodgers or a Brett Favre. And I mean, that, that doesn't, that doesn't mean that he's going to be one of the 
five or ten greatest quarterbacks of all time. It just means that he has the physical skill set to develop into something like that if he, you know, if he works at it, if he becomes a great player and all that. I mean, he, he, he makes, Sean, he makes throws that like three other people on the planet can make. I mean, this is what I will say is, I get it's early and the Favre comparison seems dumb from that perspective, but for me, looking at it long term, I think the Favre comparison is dumb because I think Patrick Mahomes' ceiling is substantially higher than Favre's because I don't think Mahomes is making the kind of mistakes that kind of always happened in Favre's career, and obviously Favre was good enough to offset those mistakes, and you win a Super Bowl early enough, no one's going to care about your dumb interceptions. He doesn't throw interceptable <laughs> passes, and that's something Brett Favre used to do. Well, to me, it's like the whole Aaron Rodgers, Brett Favre thing. I think Aaron Rodgers is a substantially better quarterback than Brett Favre ever was. So I think the Aaron Rodgers comparison is where I'd go with that. And I, and I really do think right now, after four weeks, Patrick Holmes is the best quarterback in the NFL. And I'm not saying he's going to be the best quarterback, you know, 75% of the way down the line. We're only 25% into the season. But right now, he's the best quarterback in the NFL, I don't think the Brett Favre comparison is fair to him because I think he has shown the ability to avoid turnover type of plays. I mean, you're laughing at me, but he's not throwing interceptable passes. And I think that's something I misjudged coming into the year. I was talking about, oh, he might throw 30 touchdowns, but he's going to throw 25 picks. And he's just not throwing any interceptable passes. He had one that was like tipped, I think, in the first half today that was almost picked. But he's so smart, so cerebral, and you combine that with a skill set like Aaron Rodgers, he really does remind me like Aaron Rodgers. I think, to me, that is his comparison. Again, it's been four games. Who knows what happens the rest of the way? But right now, if you were just to judge right now and be in prisoner of the moment, he's going to be the next Aaron Rodgers. <laughs> all right, all right, all right. You have crossed into a, a bizarre world of youthful hyperbole that I cannot uh, – I'm not going to take you out of that world because it seems like it's a fun place. I will tell you this, that Brett Favre led the league in passing touchdowns with 38, 39, and 35 in three straight years, winning MVP three consecutive seasons from 95 to 97. I don't expect you to know about those years because, you know, you weren't alive. Were you alive in <laughs> you, – you weren't born in 95, were you? I was born. I was three years old. Okay, right, right, right. I'm just te- <laughs> look. I'm just telling you. I mean, like, I was, I was 14, 15, and 16 then. Brett Favre did some otherworldly stuff at a time when you know it wasn't. You couldn't pass like you can in 2018. Like the the offenses yeah, yeah. weren't the same. And so I think I think it's. I, I'm not. I'm not. Far, your memory of Favre is like this old. It's old, washed up Favre with like the Vikings and the Bears trying to force it, career. trying to force it with his arm when his body's saying no. I mean, yeah, yeah, Favre, yeah. peak Favre. You need to understand, peak Favre could do anything he wanted, which was like Mahomes. Yeah, but like the difference with Mahomes though is he has more athleticism in terms of run, like getting out of the run. I, I, I'm stunned by how little Patrick Mahomes wants to run. He could run, he could run on every play and he never seems to take off. He's willing to hang in the pocket. This is by far the most he's been pressured, by far the best defense he's played. Um, and, and he didn't play well in the first half and then he stormed back. The, the, the Broncos had the longest streak of not allowing a, a double digit comeback at home. Um, when, when, in, in the second half in, in the NFL, it was like 50 or 60 games or something like that. Patrick Mahomes goes out there, leads him in the comeback. And by the way, via ESPN stats and info, he threw for 192 yards outside of the pocket, uh, on Monday night, the most such passing yards in the last 10 seasons. He was forced to get on the move. His team made mistakes over and over again. 
And he still made huge play after huge play. And you're right. He didn't throw interceptable passes. He was avoiding these dumb throws that could have turned the ball over. It, he's, he's just outstanding. Here's a stat for you that uh, our, our co-worker Jared Dubin actually slacked me for, for our takeaways article. At halftime, he was 7-15 of 15 for 65 yards. In the second half alone, he was 21 of 30 for 239 yards in that touchdown. And obviously it could have been another touchdown, but the final touchdown there were just giving the ball to Kareem Hunt to salt away the clock. He uh, was 13 he, to 16 on the final two drives that gave him the win. <laughs> right. It, it's funny. I was writing the article and I had taken a note of how many yards he had thrown on this, on the scoring drive that preceded the game winning drive. And he had more passing yards on that drive then the drive itself netted because of penalty yardage. Uh, and I just was like, wait, that's not right. And then I realized after he threw the left-handed pass on third down, left-handed, the Chiefs then promptly got a second and 30, and they erased that in, like, two plays. And you, call, just, you, you called it, too. We were chatting in Slack. It's like, it's fine that they have a second and 30. Mahomes, they have three plays to get it. Mahomes is going to snuff that out in 30 seconds, right? I mean, he's just – he's – yeah, I mean, look, he's outstanding. Do you – what about the end of the game, real quickly? Because I don't want to, I mean, like we, we could, we'll end up talking about Mahomes for 30 minutes if we, if we keep this up. Um, the, the Broncos, Case Keenan missed a bad throw, and Demaryius Thomas didn't help him out with a bad route on that sluggo up the right side where he ran it slow. Um, Keenum sailed the ball out of bounds and ends up being incomplete on, on third down. Then on fourth down, what did you think about the hook and ladder? I liked it, and I mean, this is like, we we're talking about the Frank Reich stuff. A day ago and if it doesn't work people bash them if it works you're a genius I think that play might have worked if they complete that pitch like I think they had the blockers in front to get in the end zone and I'm not certain that if they catch it they have enough time to ground it and then get another shot into the end zone I think the problem might have been they didn't run the first route deep enough on the play I think maybe they should have run it deeper to make sure they get the first down I don't have a problem with it I think the bigger problem you mentioned is they have the game won Demarius Thomas is wide open, and I get Demarius Thomas maybe he's a little bit more agile and get to that ball. That's a poorly thrown football that you would expect any starting quarterback in the NFL to hit 10 times out of 10, and he just sailed it. And I didn't think Case Keenum was very good, frankly, all night long. I think the Broncos' rushing attack, I mean, if you look at the numbers, kind of carried their offense all game long. I don't know what they averaged by the end of the game, but it had to be an insane yards per attempt. Case Keenum, to me, was replacement level, and he made a couple of bad throws and didn't make enough good throws. And I mean, it's crazy is I was really excited writing the takeaways article to write the Patrick Mahomes stuff, but the Chiefs defense is so bad mm. that we were both talking about in Slack about, uh, Broncos would probably win. And it was right there and they, and they just whiffed it. And ultimately that defense, that might be the reason why for as much praise as we're giving Patrick Mahomes while they're just not going to be good enough to get over the Andy Reid hump in the playoffs, which has kind of haunted them to this point. I think that, I, I said this in Slack. I think the defense can come around a little bit. Like they have, um, you know, they, they do have, uh, you know, they do have Eric Berry who would be coming back. They do have D Ford and Justin Houston. So I mean, they got, they got players. Like they got human bodies, Reggie Ragland, guys that'll go out there and play defense. I just don't know that they're, like, I don't think their defense is going to be great by any stretch of the imagination. Um, but th- this offense is good enough where they can win a lot of football games. It wouldn't be shocking if they were the number one seed in the AFC. I mean, like, the AFC has not looked good so far. The Steelers yeah. are trash. The Ravens, my Ravens look pretty good. My Chiefs look pretty good. My season predictions look pretty good, Sean. 
I just, it's really annoying that for the last three years I've been picking the Chiefs to win the AFC West. And this is the one year I picked the Chargers and not the Chiefs. And you picked the Chiefs and now you're calling them your Chiefs. But I feel like I've been the only one at CBS because we've been a very pro Chargers team. You're an Alex, you're an Alex Smith Chiefs guy. That's the thing is I'm always, I'm an Andy Reid guy and I, you're an Alex Smith guy. I was dumb and I thought Mahomes would throw picks and that was on me. I clearly did not watch enough of his college stuff to know that he just doesn't throw interceptable passes. I will say this about their defense though. I think the Earl Thomas injury in a way made me more sad tonight because I was just thinking, man, if you add a player like Earl Thomas to the Chiefs, then we're talking some, you know, some legit, I mean, you can already put them in the Super Bowl conversation. Obviously they're 4-0 and they're up there with the Rams. The Ravens and the Patriots about teams you would take to win the Super Bowl. But if you added Earl Thomas, which reportedly they were getting close to trade for him, that defense would be scary. You get Eric Berry and Earl Thomas on the field at the same time. That would have been great. And so that's, a, that's a shame and that's a little bit of a damper, but you're right. If the Chiefs defense plays as well they did tonight with in the Chiefs offense plays a little bit better because they could have played better through the first three quarters. This could be a legit, you know, Super Bowl contender. Now I'm trying to find our preseason prediction so I can see. Who all had the, um, who all had I me? had the Chiefs making the playoffs though. Okay, well. that's good. That's good for you. Um, okay, so what, what do we make? I, I will say about the Broncos too. I think it's important to note that like, it, it was hard to come out of this and not just be fawning over Mahomes for hours and hours. Um, Royce Freeman, eight carries, 67 yards and a touchdown. He looked really good for certain stretches, but they only gave him eight carries. Uh, uh, Philip Lindsay, 12 carries, 69 yards for a touchdown. They only gave him 12 carries. I mean, wh- why would, I'm going to murder you if you keep tapping that mouse. Um, if, <laughs> I'm trying to look up stats here. Uh, the, uh, we'll just put it on the stats page and look at, I don't understand why they tried to make this passing game happen when they could have just run the ball 40 or 50 times and closed out this game. Yeah, and I think the damning possession is after the Chiefs cut it to three points with about six minutes left in the game, the Broncos got the ball, and the Chiefs' defense, again, isn't good. And I, a part of me was thinking maybe Mahomes doesn't even get another chance to go take the lead or tie the game. And they run on first down for no gain, and then they throw the ball twice on second and third down. And you're right. We were saying in slack in the first half, the Broncos shouldn't throw the ball again. They were just gashing them. It wasn't all just the running backs making guys miss. There were just huge holes they were gutting the Chiefs defense and they kind of, they, they seem so insistent on trying to make Case Keenum into this guy who, he was this guy last year for the Vikings and played out of his mind. No one's going to take that away from him, but it, throughout his career, he's not been that guy. And they seem so intent on proving we signed this guy for a bargain when Kirk Cousins was going for guaranteed money and we got this guy in a one or two year deal. And that's just not how they're going to win. I, I was prepared before the Chiefs come back to write about how what an impressive win by the Broncos. They're the first team to stop the Chiefs offense and they've got a strategy now. If their defense can just elevate their game just a little bit, like we saw tonight for three quarters and they can run the ball, that's, that's a decent team that can make the playoffs in the AFC and they kind of got away from that late in the game. Broncos averaged 7.2 yards per rushing attempt. Case Keenum averaged 7.4 yards per passing attempt and they let Case Keenum throw it 33 times and only ran the ball 22 times. Like, what are you doing? That doesn't make any sense. If you're running the ball at 7.2 yards per carry, and that includes an 18-yard run by Emmanuel Sanders, but it counts. And if you're running the ball that effectively, just run the ball and get a little creative with it. Like, they, I mean, 
they were running the ball just straight in the middle and they were just getting big yards. Like it just, it just wasn't hard for them to run. Uh, the Chiefs, by the way, averaged 5.5 yards per attempt, 6.4 yards per attempt for Kareem Hunt. A really nice game for him, including two big, uh, two big breakaway plays there. Patrick Mahomes had his first rushing touchdown. I, I like this Broncos team. I just think they're a little, they're a little short and I could see them maybe making up an AFC run if they can, if they can hold serve at home and be a wild card. Um, you know, it wouldn't be, it wouldn't be surprising to me. Like, I, I think at this point, we're just a quarter of the season in, and we really need to go back and look at like a quarter of the season last year and just see exactly how much of that stuff actually happened. Cause I, I would venture a guess that not much. Um, not well, much. the Chiefs looked like the best team in football a year ago at the quarter way point. That's exactly right. They sure did. That's a good point, Sean. Um, they ended up making the playoffs, of course, winning the division, not handily, but fairly easily. I, I don't know. I just think that, um, I think the Broncos can still be involved. Like I, I look at the Broncos like I look at the Dolphins. Right? Yeah, I was going to say that. Like I, I think that I think the Chiefs are the top tier contender in the AFC. Uh, then you have the Jaguars, Ravens, Bengals, Patriots, Chargers. Yeah, the Patriots are in there too. Patriots are there, of course. Patriots are with the Chiefs. I don't. I mean, Patriots yeah. haven't looked great, but they're there with the Chiefs. Um, and and then then there's another tier below that with like the Broncos. Uh, Dolphins, Titans would be in that first tier too. But I just, I think like when you group out those group, those tiers, like the Broncos are going to have to win a lot of games at home and they're going to have to hold serve there if they want to end up making the playoffs. I'll say this about the Chiefs is they've got a tough schedule coming up. I think they got the Jaguars and then the Patriots and then the Broncos and Chiefs actually play again in a couple of weeks in Kansas City. They do, and- they do, but the Chiefs are supposed to have a tough schedule to start and they're four and a. No, no, I mean, what I was going to ask you is, do you think the AFC West is over? I mean, they're two games up now on the Broncos. It should like, be. That's it significant. Should, it should be, but they won't let it get, be over. Like, the I think, Broncos like, won't let it be the, over? the Chargers will get involved in this somehow. Stupid Chargers. <laughs> you can't quit the Chargers. I can't. Well, look, I mean, the, the Chiefs could lose the next two games. I mean, they can go, they can go one and three in the next, in the next four weeks. Um, you know, they got the, the Jaguars at home next week. That wouldn't, if they lost that, I wouldn't be surprised. I bet, I, they're three point favorites right now. I bet they end up being two and a half or three and a half point favorites. Nothing big. Then they're at the Patriots. They could easily lose that game. That'll be a shootout. That's a Sunday night game. Where is that? In, in New England. Oh, that's Sunday night. Mm-hmm. That's, oh, that's awesome. Yeah. Uh, then they get the Bengals at home. I mean, I think they'll beat the Bengals and they'll be favored, but they could lose to them. Broncos at home. They should beat the Broncos at the Browns, Cardinals. They get the Rams in New Mex- in, in Mexico City. I mean, they, they're, they're gonna win 10 games or so, yeah. but I can, I mean, like they haven't played the, you know, I, I don't know. I wouldn't be, I wouldn't be stunned at all if, if the, you know, if the division, you know, if, if, if the division were sort of up for grabs. I will say this about the Chiefs though. Um, they have now won three of their four games on the road. That's huge. They're four and oh, and, and they've won in Pittsburgh. In Los Angeles, whatever, but in Denver. I mean, those are like two really tough places to play. When you lay out their schedule, you don't picture them winning those games. And so for them, I think that's massive. I, I, I think we need to look at it more as like these other teams had the Chiefs on their schedule, not these, the Chiefs had these teams on their schedule. Uh, the Broncos, by the way, go to at, um, they're at the Jets next week. Then they get the, uh, that's tough. That's a short week travel, travel job. Then they get the Rams at home. Then at the Cardinals. Then at the Chiefs. So the Broncos would not be surprising if the Broncos lost their next four games. 
I, I think they're better than the Jets. I, I, I don't, I'm not big on the Broncos. To me, they scream like a, just an average run of the mill team. They, they just, they haven't fixed quarterback. And it's weird because they signed Case Kingdom to a contract that you would think would be like a bridge quarterback contract, but they don't, there's a, it's a bridge to nowhere. Like who is the guy that he's handing it off to? Is it, you know, it's not Chad Kelly, presumably. It's obviously not Paxton Lynch. So it, I, I don't know. The Broncos to me are a weird team. I don't know how to feel about them. I feel better about like the Dolphins than I do the Broncos. I think they're going to be competitive. You you listed all those games with the exception of that Rams game. I think they'll go to New York and I think it'll be a close game and it's going to depend if Case Keenum makes a couple throws compared to Sam Darnold. And so I, I don't think the Broncos are a bad team by any stretch of the imagination. I mean, they're the only team to kind of give the Chiefs fits and I think that's important. If not for that fourth quarter, the story again would have been Look at the Broncos. This is the formula they can ride potentially to the AFC West. And things went kind of crazy there in that fourth quarter. So I don't think we should be killing them. Um, at the same time, they've got some serious issues. You, and if you don't have a – the bottom line is if you don't have a quarterback in the NFL, a really good quarterback, it's, it's tough to beat teams with the best quarterback in football, who is Patrick Mahomes. <laughs> you need to see this picture of Kareem Hunt looking at Patrick Mahomes. That's us right now. By the way, Pat, we'll get out of here on this and hand it over to Brady Quinn. Uh, two things I will note, Sean. Well, three things. One, you can follow Sean on Twitter at Sean J. Wagner. Two, I forgot what the second one was. Uh, <laughs> um, I don't you did call on yesterday's podcast October, August. So this it's, is it's fine. not surprising. That's how it's operating. Um, Two, I'll say this. Two, I'm going to be watching this uh, Chiefs-Broncos game again. And I'll be watching it on NFL Game Pass. And, I, and anyone else can watch it for free with a seven-day trial by going to NFL.com slash pick six. That's P-I-C-K-S-I-X. If you want to watch every NFL game available to you, maybe – in fact, oh, I know what the other one was. Lynn Dawson. The only Chiefs quarterback with more wins at Mile High Stadium. You can, I don't know if you can go back and watch Lynn Dawson games on the NFL Game Pass, but you can certainly watch every Patrick Mahomes start on there. If you want to enjoy, just watch some football prawn as the, as the kids say, I guess, uh, you can fire up NFL Game Pass, watch the all 22 version of Patrick Mahomes left-handed throw. You can watch the, uh, the condensed or broadcast versions. Every NFL game and you get a free seven day trial. NFL.com slash pick Six. All right, Sean. Uh, it's a blast as always, buddy. I'm going to go talk to Brady Quinn. I'm going to go. All right. Welcome back to the Brady Quinn football show with Will Brinson. I'm Will Brinson. Joining me now, Brady Quinn, as promised. Brady, by the way, uh, works often, very often on CBS Sports HQ. I'm not going to make you tell everybody about CBS Sports HQ, Brady, because I will. It's the best new way to get your sports news and information. You can do so by going to cbssports.com backslash live or by downloading the CBS Sports HQ app on your Roku, Amazon Fire, Apple TV, any smart device, any mobile device. It's real sports news for real sports fans, and it's loaded 24-7 free with personalities like Brady Quinn, Nick Costas, Pete Prisco. You guys are all peas in a pod, right? Yeah, just to name a few. My buddy Danny Cannell, Brian McFadden, a lot mm. of other former players, too, kind of weighing in, giving their takes. So, you know, to me, I think it's heaven if you are a sports fan, in particular this time of year, 
a football fan for both NFL and college football. If you're not watching, you're not winning. Great picks, gambling advice, fantasy advice, etc. Check it out, CBS Sports HQ at cbssports.com backslash live or on any smart TV, smart device, thingamajiggy that the kids use these days. All right, Brady, let's dive into the football from this weekend. Um, Dirk Cutter has named Jameis Winston the starter going into the Buccaneers' bye. Uh, I don't think that's a surprise but Dirk Cutter's quotes, I just read this, Rick Stroud tweeted out, Cutter, Jameis Winston is a guy who will be here way longer than I will, and he needs to be playing. Um, do you feel like this this beautiful little Buccaneer Cinderella story might be about to go off the rails? Yeah, I do, and, and I feel like that kind of verbiage coming from their head coach, <laughs> Dirk Cutter, it, it signals to me that ownership is making this decision that ownership now or someone above him that controls his job stability is actually making that decision because you know, first off, if you're a head coach, right. And, and there's maybe some indecision going into a buy as far as who your quarterback's going to be. Why would you give any other opponent opportunity to do advanced scouting? You shouldn't give them an opportunity because yeah. as much as you want to sit back and say, well, Jameis Winston and Ryan Fitzpatrick, they're not that different. Oh yes, they are. And they're going to have different weaknesses and different things you're trying to exploit. So because of that, I almost get the sense that you know, the way Dirk Cutter said it um, is he's taking one for the team and really making this more about the organization in the long term. And I just I, I don't know that um, there's a light at the end of the tunnel. I think the odd thing was is he put James Winston into a bad situation this past week up mm-hmm. in Chicago, and he admitted that. Like I don't know many head coaches that would basically say, yeah, I told James we're putting you in a bad situation, but – Get on out there and play, buddy. Good luck. I mean, it just it seems unnecessary. It seems like you're putting your quarterback in harm's way if he is indeed your guy. Yeah, I, I'm with you. And to, I get that you're getting blasted. You're down 48 to three or whatever it is. Um, you want to throw Jameis out there, but he's on a short. It's a short week. He's been suspended. You know, he's he's sort of getting back into the groove of things. It doesn't help you to. Um, to, to, to lob him out there. And I, I think that this Buccaneers ship could, uh, could eventually sink. And you're right. Like they have a division rival in the Falcons, a desperate division rival who may or may not win this week in Pittsburgh. Uh, we can get to them in a second, but if you're the, if you're the Buccaneers, you don't want to let the Falcons know two weeks ahead of time that they're going to be facing Jameis Winston. And they did, uh, just that on the other side of the ball, uh, the, the Chicago Bears, I mean, what a game from Mitchell Trubisky. Uh, the, to me, the, was it though? Was it? I oh. mean, when I look back and watch a will, I see a bunch of guys running wide open. Yes, I see a decimated secondary for Tampa. I, I know we all want to hop on the, the Mitchell Trubisky train because Matt Nagy's that next young head coach and offensive mind and all that. This was a bad performance by the Tampa Bay Bucks. Mm. This was a performance by the Chicago Bears that uh, will go down as, as being somewhat historic because of the stats Trubisky put up. But at the end of the day, to me, I saw a lot of guys running wide open. I saw a lot of guys who didn't know what they were doing on the defense for the Tampa Bay Bucks. And, and just to kind of put a cap on that conversation, like going to Jameis this quickly for Dirk Cutter, I kind of feel like he's you know already wasting his get-out-of-jail-free card. Mm. Like he could have maybe used the quarterback change to extend his tenure a little bit longer, depending on how things go. Um, but I just – I'm not buying into um, the, the offense quite yet after – after watching that performance on film. I just don't think there was enough there where I saw Mitchell Trubisky challenged. And I, I will say this, that defense is a force to be reckoned with. They play better at home, and so you better look out. 
but I'm not ready to anoint Mitchell Trubisky, the next Jared Goff, um, you know, alongside of his Sean McVay, uh, as far as this whole Matt Nagy, Mitchell Trubisky uh, tandem. Okay, all right, I'm I'm fine with that, but I will say this: I think that what we saw from Matt Nagy was exactly why they hired. Matt Nagy in the first place because they wanted him to come in and operate an offense that wasn't from 1945, and he did scheme these guys up. And to me, the biggest difference, Brady, was that they used Tariq Cohen more as not a – I don't want to call him the feature back, but he did lead the league – he did lead the team in carries, led the team in receptions, and they let him be this chess piece they moved around, and it created mismatches against a very bad Buccaneers defense that yeah. led to easy opportunities for Trubisky. So why why wouldn't those opportunities be there down the road? Uh, well, first off, what took you so long, Matt Nagy? Yeah, yeah, I'm with you. Like, if you want to praise him now for it, we'll be in week five or yeah. going into uh, after this after this Monday Night Football. Like, yeah. you know, what took you so long? <laughs> yeah. You had that guy on your roster the whole time. Um, but no, I, it's not that he's not going to be a mismatch moving forward. He was a mismatch last year with Dow Loggins as their OC, and you know, you you looked at how they utilized him in the past. He's always been a mismatch. It's just odd that it took them this this long to figure that out. And and I'm sorry, I just I can't agree when I when I look at it, you know, Trey Burton running wide open because the defender falls, <laughs> and all of a sudden there's no one in between him and the end zone besides green grass. If he doesn't, you know, lose his feet or lose his footing, he'll be fine. Um, again, we can go back over. It was one performance. I, I think you, you pat Mitchell Trubisky on the back. He hit the open guys like it was seven on seven in a t-shirt and shorts. Uh, I just I, I want to see him be able to do it against a better opponent. And I, I know that defense is going to keep them in football games. I'm just not ready to all of a sudden sign off on this team. I think they do have a ton of weapons, uh, and, and they utilize them well. But I don't know how you really, if you call it scheming it up, or guys just flat out getting beat and Tampa Bay Bucks defenders not knowing who is responsible for certain wide receivers based on formations, et cetera. All right, well, are we going to learn? Here are the next four opponents um, for the for the Chicago Bears who are about to go into their bye week. Uh, three and one. You have to be feeling great if you're the Bears. Um, they, they have the Dolphins out of the bye in Miami, the Patriots at home after that, the Jets at home after that, and the Bills on the road after that. I don't know if you know, Brady. That's the whole AFC East. How, how, what will we know about Mitchell Trubisky and the Bears after they play the AFC East? If they don't go two and two with those stretch of games, because I think uh, going to Miami will be a tough one for them. Sure. Um, I think playing New England is always tough. And then Jets and Bills, those are two winnable games. They're better. They're a better football team right now than both those teams. If they don't go two and two or better in that stretch, okay, it's a disappointment. Like that's how I'd put it. And I'd say, not to, not to use the, the late great, you know, Denny Green, but they are who we thought they were. You know, they're, they're still that team that's hovering in that third, fourth spot in the bottom of the NFC North, behind Green Bay and Minnesota, at least in my mind. Okay, and and Denny Green, of course, famously said that about the Bears. So well, well, uh, yeah. well played there, Brady. Thank you. Uh, do Thank you. you. Yeah, great, great stuff by you. Um, do so, the Vikings and the Packers. Then, like, I, I mean, the Packers just that the Packers was a name your price type of game against the the Bills. Like, all right, we want to beat them by fifty, whatever. Like, we can we can do that. The Bills just weren't ready, and then the Vikings had that ugly you know shootout. I don't want to say call it ugly, but their defense got. Uh, blasted by the Rams. I mean, yeah. where do you do you think that this division is closer, maybe in terms of those three teams than we than we thought originally? I mean, what? How do you think it? How do you think it looks right now? I think the second Cleo Mack uh, was traded to the to the Chicago Bears. That team mm. immediately got elevated. You know, maybe to be as good, if not better, than Detroit. And it, it all the rest all depends on Trubisky and how much he progresses. But 
yeah, I, I think that that division is evened out. I also don't think Minnesota nor Green Bay are playing their best football, and I don't think you you should be at this point of the season, right? Like that's a little bit of a concern. If I'm a Dolphins fan, if I'm a Bears fan, if I'm some of these teams that have you know come out of the gate hot like the Kansas City Chiefs, that's great. But you've got to be able to sustain it. You know, it's it's really the games in November December that end up determining what goes on in the playoffs. And and maybe you're like Philly last year and you get far enough ahead where it doesn't matter. Um, but you know, in, in the case of the Chicago Bears, at least when I look at them, I, I say you know they're still not quite up to, to par. I think with the Vikings or Green Bay, even though neither of those teams have played their best. Green Bay, I think their defense is only going to get better the rest of the year. I think they're still trying to figure out how to use Jimmy Graham as he got a touchdown this past week, finally. <laughs> um, you know, their running game hasn't really come along like we thought. And, and Rodgers still doesn't look 100% healthy. Uh, yeah. And then you go to Minnesota, I think the issue, the biggest issue with them is they've always hung their hat on a good defense, but in particular, like Mike Zimmer's special has been their secondary. They've been, in his standards, I'd say, or, or their standards, awful in their secondary. They've given up a ton of passing yards. They've really struggled on the back end. And that's an area where I'm kind of curious to see if they don't all of a sudden start to level out and start playing some better football. Mm. I also want to ask you about the AFC South. This is a fascinating division to me yesterday, on, or excuse me, on Sunday in week four. People are listening to this on Tuesday, of course, because you had the, the Jaguars who – beat up on the Jets in a home game that they were favored by seven and a half points and uh, Todd Bowles waved the white flag multiple. All of these teams were involved in interesting coaching situations, right? So like Todd Bowles punted the ball down 12 points with five minutes to go in the fourth quarter, which is an inexplicable white flag to me. And that's after he kicked a field goal down like 25 to three in the third quarter. You know, it, it, it just, it just felt like he was giving up against the, the Jaguars. Then you have Bill O'Brien who decided to run a draw play with Alfred Blue with 45 seconds left in regulation when he has Deshaun Watson and DeAndre Hopkins. No timeouts. They didn't get close enough for a good look at a field goal. Uh, yeah, and then the two guys that really stood out to me, Mike Vrabel and Frank Wright of the Titans and Colts respectively, laying the wave of us on the table and going for it on fourth uh, in very different situations. What was your response? Vrabel, of course, went for it on fourth and Marcus Mariota. They go for it on fourth and two. They get 17 yards. They get close enough they get a touchdown to Corey Davis to, to win the game uh right went for it on fourth and four I think they didn't pick it up uh instead of the Houston Texans field goal to win the game what was your reaction to those two uh very different outcomes of fourth down situations I would start off by saying I think when you're a first year head coach first time head coach you know you can do that you can be aggressive you can really play to your locker room and your team because that fires up players right it's sending a message of, I believe in you. I believe we're going to do this and that we're going to control our own destiny. We're going to win this game. And that can work. And obviously we saw that in the case of Mike Rabel, who definitely has that locker room for the boys. Hashtag for the boys. Not sure <laughs> if you've, you've watched Taylor Lewan lately, but it's, it's for, the, for the boys. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, but you know, you, then you look at the Colts, though, and it doesn't quite work out the way you had intended to. And we could dissect the play calls and all that. Um, I actually think the worst fourth down call in the entire weekend was by James Franklin of Penn State. But mm. The, the, mm. This, this is a professional caught. Uh, no, 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 no. By all means, I, I, that was I. We sat. We um, some of us had. We're hoping for an overtime situation uh, for extra points in that game. 
and some of us, yeah. may, some of you know, yeah. some, some of us, some of us were um, yeah. sitting sitting around a campfire watching that game, and um, we sat there in stunned silence for like twenty minutes after Franklin did the what did he do a draw or like a fourth and five? It was, just, it, it, was it was just more of a running play. It looked like an inside zone. I have to go back and look. Could have been like a single back power play, but it was um, it was a poor play call. That's, that's the only thing you can call it, right? I mean, when your quarterback is your leading rusher as well as putting up over like four hundred sixty yards of total offense and is a legitimate Heisman candidate, you cannot make the case for why you would run the football there. For starters, it was like fourth and four, fourth and five. And then the other meaningful point is the fact that, like, I don't even know if I'm Trace McSorley, if I'm actually listening to him giving me that call or signaling <laughs> that call and actually running it. Like, I'm walking out there and I'm signaling something to someone else and I'm throwing a pass. I'm not letting uh, that play end in someone else's hands. I'm just not. Not at this point in time in his career and all that. And uh, that's that's a, a big mystery that ultimately maybe cost him that game. But Back to the NFL. So first year, uh, first time head coaches, I think can get away with it because you're young and you can kind of say, ah, you know, or aggressive. That's what we do. You know, we're going to dictate to the to our opponent. And then you look at Bill O'Brien. You know, you brought up the Alfred Blue draw yeah. at the end of regulation, I believe, right? Yes. I thought it was way more interesting when they kicked a field goal, and I think it was with like two minutes left in overtime, right? Mm-hmm. And it was like two minutes and change, and they tied it up, right? Yes. I was thinking in my head, okay, like how, like what, like really? Like I, I was still a little bit baffled by the way that whole procedure went about uh, because you're 0-3. Right. Like you're playing for a tie at that point, right? It, it, felt, it, felt, it felt like Bill O'Brien was perfectly fine to get to overtime and to play for a tie. Yes, that is exactly, that is exactly how it felt. And, and I was just, I was just baffled. I was kind of confused by the decision, thinking like, so you are okay with potentially ending up 0-3 and one, like still don't have a win, but you're okay with that. Yeah. Like I, that was that was more shocking to me. And then, um, you know, the fourth down decision, you can you can you know call whatever you want, call what you like. But at, at the end of the day, um, you know, Houston was able to play a more conservative style, and maybe that's, uh, you know, give Bill O'Brien credit. Because that's what he, you know, realized was kind of down the road is if you just kind of keep hanging around, keep standing in the game, <laughs> you know, more teams lose games than win games. And in this case, you can make the case that the Colts made a bad decision and they lost that game instead of winning it. Uh, and so here's the play, by the way. So they're on the Indy 36. Uh, Deshaun Watson. Oh, Watson took that deep shot to Hopkins that he, I think he almost pulled in. And then he like rolled a little bit and the ball bounced out and he, and he lost it. Uh, then, then they, then they run a play for 13 yards, a play for 12 yards. He gets sacked for minus one yard. Um, they, they run a play for another yard on, uh, on second 11 to the, to the Indy 11. Um, and then there's an incomplete pass. And then on fourth and 10 on the Indy 11 without even thinking twice, they go out there and kick it. Um, you're right. I mean, like Bill O'Brien was playing to, all right, I'm going to see if these guys will make a mistake. And if I got to get out of here and I'm 0-3 and 1, that's better than 0 and 4. And I'm, and I'm fine with that. And I, 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 that's why I can back Frank Reich's play because at the very least, at least he's, at least he's being aggressive. At least he's trying to win the games. The, the Colts aren't a team that's going to go win the Super Bowl this year, right? Like we, he has to know that. We know that. They can, but they can, it feels to me like he sold the locker room on himself by doing that. Am I wrong? Yeah, a little bit. I mean, I think that's part of it too. You know, you you see how um, you know coaches are able to kind of get players to play for them. And you know, I used to think like, oh, this is the pros, man. Like, it doesn't work like that. It's a younger league now. You know, the average age of of a player in the NFL is about twenty five years old. 
And so I think they're a lot closer to being that like college mindset where like raw, raw, win, win for the Gipper than it used to be when you had guys who are 27, 28 years old. I know that doesn't sound like much, but there's kind of a big difference when, when, when guys like married with kids or at a different point in his life than that guy who's kind of, you know, just single and a part of the team and, and, and able to spend all his time around the guys. Like, it's a little bit different, and I just think you have a different mindset that early on in your career, and that's something that can be won over. So uh, maybe, that is, you know, maybe that's more what uh, Frank Reich was kind of thinking, or maybe that's just going to be more his style moving forward. That's what I want to see. I want to see if both him and Mike Vrabel continue to always be this aggressive when they get in these scenarios moving forward, and, and maybe they will be. Maybe this is just, this is just the, the beginning of their identity. It's, it's crazy too because, and I wrote about this on, on CBSSports.com, but like, we have now this group of coaches that are, so like Doug Peterson's in here. I think Andy Reid has always been kind of a guy that would do it in terms of being aggressive and, and different. Bill Belichick certainly does it. I mean, we're at least trending towards, I don't know, maybe like a quarter of the league in terms of coaches who might go out there and be really aggressive on fourth down. I know Chip Kelly wanted to do it and got run out of town. Mike Tomlin is is one of those guys. <laughs> I mean, it's it's at least like kind of interesting, great, right? Great segue, by the way, to talk about the Pittsburgh Steelers. I mean, they they might need to use all four downs all the time right now, as bad as their offense has kind of been up and down. Dude, what is going? What, I mean, what what is this team just bad? What I mean, what's what do you what do you I mean, take from this? How can you, I mean, as a team, yeah, I think the definition of a team, like all those talented, ridiculous players like that can't seem to get it together to beat anyone, yeah. That's, that's, the only most, that's the only way you can put it right now, is they are maybe the most talented roster, and they just can't figure out a way of playing all together collectively, and, and they can't figure out how to play complementary. Okay, so right now, here's the issue with Pittsburgh. They are a tale of two halves team, okay? Mm. They have literally, literally been shut out now in three of their four games. Is that the only right? time they scored in the second half, they scored 16 points versus Kansas City when they were trying to come back in that game. Okay? Wait, the Steelers have been shut out in three of four of their second halves? Yes. Go back and look it up. Hmm. I, was, I was shocked to kind of find that out, but they literally have been shut out in the second half of their games. They just can't figure out a way of putting together points. I mean, I obviously believe you. I just, I need to, I just, I'm clicking to see these zeros. How is this, like, that, that doesn't make any sense in 2018 though, Brady, because you have, <laughs> you have Ben Roethlisberger, you have Juju Smith-Schuster, you have a great offensive line, you have friggin' Antonio Brown. I mean, they have James Washington. This is a team, there's no way they should be shut out of the second half. They should be able to wing the ball all over the place. Exactly, and I think that's my frustration a little bit. Because uh, for starters, it's not like James Conner has been bad. I mean, he's actually run the football all right. Um, it's that their passing game has been a little bit inept. You know, twice we saw, um, twice we saw Ben Roethlisberger this past weekend kind of do that. He typically has that long pump fake, right? And usually it deeks the defense, and then he throws somewhere else or he takes off and moves the throw. This time, like both those times, ended up coming out of his hand awkwardly. It just it looked like the beginning to the end. That's, that's the only other way I can describe it. Like It looked like this team, and maybe even he, is, is just going to be struggling to, to play at a higher level like they need him to at this point. And, and in saying that, you know, he's been a quarterback of two halves. I think he's got, what, seven touchdown passes in the season. Six have been in the first half, one in the second half. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's, that's, that's been the difference in his play this year, is he hasn't played well when they needed him to. And, and then their defense, when you look at you know, what they've given up, when I talk about how their offense has struggled, you know, they, uh, I think they've given up like four touchdowns in the first, first half in games, and then the second half they give up eight. Like literally double the production. So it just tells me like they're not pl- 
playing complementary football. When their offense is out there in the first half, able to put some points up and able to build a lead. And then you look at a game like Tampa where they're just trying to hang on. They get shut out in the second half, and now all of a sudden their defense is getting torched, and, and they're slowly creeping back in that game. And that's kind of that's been the story of their season so far. So they tell two halves. They haven't played their best complete game of football, and they haven't been able to do it in all three phases. Yeah, so they have um, – uh, I looked it up, and they have nine periods – in terms of like counting overtime against the Browns and then quarters, nine different sc- periods of time where they have scored zero points. That's crazy yeah. through three weeks. And I mentioned this on uh, on the Monday morning podcast. Uh, of course, it's a daily podcast that people can subscribe to on iTunes. But they had nine different drives that went for thirty yards or less against the Ravens. Yeah. That's they're just they're getting out there and they're. Ben's missing guys, and I don't think that I don't think Antonio Brown and Ben Roethlisberger are on the same page. I think guys are upset about Le'Veon Bell, and I'm curious with the Earl Thomas injury. I, oh, sorry, go ahead. Well, no. well, I don't think it's about Le'Veon Bell. I just you know you look at Randy Fittner, right? He takes over as the offensive coordinator. I think he's still trying to figure it out. Mm. Um, I think Keith Butler is the one that's in trouble. I mean, he he should be the one that at some point gets let go or Mike Tomlin takes over the defense or someone gets elevated because he's the one that's been the constant and they just have not gotten any better. And if you're worried about Artie Burns and Joe Hayden getting burnt, which by the way, they they both did this past week, put him in a different scheme, man, play cover two, do something different, mix it up, bring more pressure, something. I mean, you have to make a change if your personnel is not able to execute with the scheme that you're giving them. Yeah. And again, like the second Ryan Chazier went out last year, this defense has fallen off a cliff. I mean, I've never seen a defensive Jenga piece like this just in terms of, in terms of what happened on the, on the Le'Veon Bell stuff. Do you think that Earl Thomas's injury solidifies Le'Veon Bell's case to remain on the sidelines and say, look, I'm not coming in there and signing that tender until I'm guaranteed, you know, like I'm just not going to sign it. Yeah. In some ways it does. And in some ways it legitimizes it. In other ways it doesn't. I mean, he's going to get paid that regardless, right? He's getting 14.5 million, you know, regardless of that in Earl Thomas's contract, since it's the last year of his deal, you know, he's probably looking at a split, right? So with this injury, you know, he's probably looking at getting his pay potentially cut in half, depending on the details in his contract. So that's the, that's the first initial blow that he takes. And then obviously, too, you know, coming off this injury, whatever it is, especially if he misses the rest of the season, I would suspect he would. Um, you know, so he's going to be devalued. You know, he's close to 30 years old, and he's coming off an injury. And as good as a player as he is, people are going to be hesitant. And I, and I want to say someone told me it might be the same injury he suffered before uh, with a fractured tibia. So I, I don't want to throw something out there that's not accurate, but I did hear that. I'll be curious to see if that's the case. Um, but, yeah, I think it legitimizes it a little bit, and I just think – you know, look, if you're, a, if you're a fan of the team and you didn't like him, you're probably saying, well, I'm glad we didn't extend him or pay him, right? Yeah. And if you're, you know, if you're someone who's, you know, on the, on the player side, you're probably saying, well, this is why they hold out. And I don't know that those two, two sides will ever come to an agreement, right? Like, like people nowadays can't be reasonable and say, well, yeah, I can see both sides of that argument. Um, but unfortunately, that's how it, it worked out um, for Earl Thomas. And, you know, I, I hope he gets back soon. I hope he gets back healthy and, and someone's able to pick him up next year and you know, pay him what he should be paid because he is one of the best safeties in the game. Yeah, uh, it was a fractured uh, tibia in 2016 when he missed the final five regular season games, and then he had a hamstring injury last year. So, I mean, that's the thing for Earl. It sucks because he was 
he 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 knows his he knows how this game works and he knows his age and he knows his value on the open market and he knows that he's been injured the last few years and it's going to be tougher to get to get paid. I still think he's good enough cuz he showed it early on that he's going to get plenty of interest as a free agent, right? Assuming he comes back completely healthy. Yeah, I mean I, I would think that he would he would, you know, he would end up getting somewhat of a pretty decent deal. But the problem nowadays is the structure of it. You know, if he wants more guaranteed money up front, it's probably going to be a, or, or more of a guaranteed contract, it's probably going to be a shorter deal. And, he, you know, his best offer might be to take a one-year fully guaranteed mm. or one-year deal to prove to people that he's healthy, you know. Richard Sherman kind of did something very similar uh, coming back now playing for the San Francisco 49ers. You know, so maybe there's somewhat of a similar deal that Earl Thomas signs um, just to prove to people that he is still worth what he is. Because, look, safeties can play a long time in this league. Uh, and, and he's obviously got the ability to because, I mean, look, Earl Thomas, regardless of what you want to say, his issue was with um, the Seattle Seahawks and him not practicing. You know, a couple weeks ago he had two interceptions versus the, in that game versus Dallas. You know, so he's he's still playing at a really, really, really high level. Oh, yeah, he still looked good. Uh, all right, we'll get you out of here on this. The Cleveland Browns nearly stole a win in Oakland. That was a wild game. Um, are are the Cleveland Browns going to be good? What are, like what are, are the Browns going to be a problem for people? Because I feel like they will be, but I can't tell if that the young that the talent I can't tell if the talent can overcome Hugh Jackson. Yeah, that's that, that's I, I don't know if it's overcoming Hugh Jackson so much. You know, I, I do think their staff is good. I think it's more of just overcoming their youth. You know, we, we tend to look at Baker Mayfield and say, "Oh, he looked so good in the second half of that game." Like it's it just it's up from here. Eh, that's not really how it works. Um, and I think we saw some of those rookie mistakes in his first, you know, start on the road. And you know, look, the Raiders aren't that good of a football team. No, they're so, terrible. <laughs> exactly. They're so, terrible. Uh, wait till he has to play the Baltimore Ravens defense. Wait till he has to play the Cincinnati Bengals. Like, let's let's wait until he has to play some of the better teams, and then all of a sudden we'll get a better gauge of him, and we'll see how teams adjust to his style of play because he will have tendencies. Everyone, every quarterback does. Everyone does. And then teams eventually adjust, and you have to kind of try to overcome that and improve your game. So I think he gives them a fighting chance. Uh, I love him as a player, and I think this team is, is maybe in the best place it's been in quite some time. I just don't know how many wins that equates to. I don't know if that's five wins, you know, six wins, or what that is. But I, I definitely think they'll be playing in close games and, and winning more than we saw the past two years. I have a trivia question for you. This will be the last thing we'll get you out on. Do you know the last time that the, that the, that the Cleveland Browns Scored 40 points in a football game on the road. 2009 versus Kansas City. We won yes. 41 to 34. I ended up actually uh, having a Liz Frank injury at the end of that game. Oh, no. Deep. Yeah. Yeah. So that was actually my last start of that season. I went on IR after that. Um, but yeah, that was the last time. And then the, and the last time, it's really the highest scoring, I think, since 2007, week two. We beat Cincinnati, I think. 51 to, gosh, it was a shootout. It might have been like 51-48. Uh, I did not play in that game. That was actually Derek Anderson in that game. But um, I think it's the most points scored since that game as well. 51-45. Uh, you're right. Actually, actually, you guys beat the Dolphins 41-31. In, uh, but, yeah, so it's a, it a high-scoring year, that 2007. But, yeah, that's, I didn't mean to bring it up about the injury, so I apologize for that. No, no, it's okay. It's okay. <laughs> it was a good play. It actually was going to help put us in the field goal range. Yeah. Um, and then we broke a, a decently long, it was like a 30 or 40 yard run. No, I've been like a 30 yard run or 20, 
five-yard run to, to go up ahead by a touchdown. So uh, it, it helps set up that score, so I was just thankful for that. All right, good stuff. Uh, Brady Quinn joining us as always. You can follow him on Twitter at 3RD underscore goal. Watch him on CBS Sports HQ. Thanks, buddy. Yeah, always a pleasure.